Season two can only be better than season one. <laughs> Literally. Oh, if it's like a five out of ten, it's better than season one. <laughs> exactly. Because season one was like a 4.5. Yeah. Overall. Not even. So like, yeah. if we're, if it's a five, we're, yeah. we'll thrive. Five yeah. and we're thriving. That's five it. That's the, <laughs> that's the new catchphrase for this show. <laughs> if it's a five and we're thriving, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no, that's bad. <laughs> I miss um, this so much. <laughs> what happened over the break? Oh, I turned 28. Oh, so true. I Thank love you. that for you. JJ and I both. <laughs> um, I like that every, if we keep on the same schedule, every break will be a birthday of mine. I will always come back a year older. <laughs> <laughs> a year older and yet none the wiser. Yeah, less and yet wise. you'll still be here, unfortunately. Yeah. And one day I will be 30, flirty, and thriving. Honestly, it's going to be the best day of my life. 30, flirty, and thriving. <laughs> That's the goal. Uh, during the break, I got a new job and moved. Yeah. We've had a lot going on. I quit my job, had a mental breakdown, ended up in the hospital, and now we're back. Oh, and I celebrated no, my two-year wedding anniversary. Oh my god, so much has happened, you guys. You guys think so much happens while we record this podcast? (laughs) We literally took two months off and like everything happened. The funniest part is it's it's only going to be two months for the listeners or for us. For the listeners, we will leave for like four weeks, maybe five. And then all of a sudden, (laughs) and then all of a sudden they'll come back and we'll have this entire like years worth of backstory character lore that we (laughs) (laughs) well just wait for the people that are listening to this like binging it they're gonna be like last episode james was laying in a bed at their mom's house and now james is (laughs) recovering from a breakdown like (laughs) i love this stupid podcast I love this stupid podcast and I feel so sorry for anybody who's trying to binge it. Hey Jay, do you want to talk about season two, episode one, The Fisher King part two? Oh my God, B, I would love to talk about season two, episode one, The Fisher King Part 2 on this, our podcast wheels up about criminal minds. (laughs) Jesus, that's a mouthful. Why did we do this? Well, no, it's because The Fisher King Part 2 is such a buckwild season premiere title. Oh my god, literally the first episode is Part 2. Like, that sucks so bad. Yeah. Also, they do not have consistency. Sometimes they'll do like part twos or sometimes they'll just do Roman numeral two. And you're like, why are you not? Be consistent at least. So there are episodes that are like a part one and a part two. Like the big game and revelations are the Hinkle episodes. But they're not like the big game part one, the big game part two. They're two separate names, but they are fully a part one and a part two. And yet, yet, (laughs) here we are. Here we are. With the Fisher King part two. Jay, do you want to give me a previously on Criminal Minds? Previously on Criminal Minds? Imagine if I just started talking in the characters' voices. Like, I fully was just like, <laughs> the, the unsub has 
sent us this DVD, like Gideon, you know? <laughs> you spent your time away learning fucking ventriloquism and impersonation, perfect and you just mimicry. come back and you are perfect. Just spot fucking on. <laughs> Previously on The Fisher King, part one. The team has a vacation. Elle and Derek... Go to fucking Mantigo Bay, Jamaica for some loving in the sun. Elle gets down and dirty. But uh-oh, what happens? In the middle of the night, she's awoken violently and arrested and hauled off to the police station. While that's happening, Penelope and JJ don't get a break. <laughs> but Penelope brings in her personal laptop and she's playing Camelot. And there's a guy called Sir Naif who's courting her romantically and JJ teases her a little bit and then she's like yeah but does he have a brother like for real and then Gideon goes to his cabin in the woods his very creepy cabin in the woods so creepy tons of security cameras and he's doing his little dance to his classical music yeah, cooking up a storm hell I don't yeah know what he doing but I'm vibing with it honestly <laughs> his lady friend shows up has two glasses Ooh. of wine and gets shit faced they start making out <laughs> a delivery driver shows up and Gideon's like no one's supposed to be here and when he opens the box, there's a Nellie Fox 1996 baseball card and a head, like a human, a human head. Hotch is at home doing chores and being a loving husband to his wife. That stops after this episode. Um, they do the sex. They fall asleep on the couch. He gets a phone call that's like, save the girl. Um, Reed is off in Las Vegas, Nevada. The city, what is it? It's never night in Las Vegas. That's mm -hmm. important. Uh, visiting the Bennington Sanitarium where his mother is a paranoid schizophrenic, but she used to be a 13th century medieval scholar. What's up? He also like refuses to visit her. He only writes her letters. He shows up. He gets sad. He leaves without saying hello. Okay. He gets given a skeleton king with a note that's like, save the girl, call Gideon, whatever. Hot flies down to Jamaica. They get out. They bring her back. They're like, who's the head um and then they find the body oh the body's in jamaica and the head was given to gideon and they put mm -hmm. it they put it together that it's the same guy um then they find out who killed him they go to his house he's dead with a fucking sword through his body and nobody thinks the sword is the weird part yeah, of all of that nobody notices um they find a music box in the wall reed is back in in Virginia, um, they're the Trout Quintet, Five Agents Fishing, because nobody fucking counts JJ and Penelope. Um, and then they go back to the Quant, they go back to Quantico. They start figuring out what's happening. They have a DVD. They watch it. He's like, "Don't call the cops." Gideon is like, "JJ, hold a fucking press conference." Press conference. And they do. And then the unsub shows up at Elle's house, and. He has a gun out and she's reaching for her gun and bang, blackout, cliffhanger. Um, and that's what you missed on Glee. <laughs> yeah. Okay, before we get started, uh -huh. I'm very annoyed at what the book ended up being that they had to use to decode. I'm actually angry. I was going to say a little angry, but no, I think I'm a full angry. What book did you... Because last time on Wheels Up, yeah. uh, on the finale episode, we predicted what book it would be. Yes. I predicted that it was going to be Chaucer's 
Canterbury Tales. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does get met- mentioned, right? A Parliament of Fowls, which is a Canterbury Tale. Um, yeah. I think, so I consulted with my bestie, Monica, who <laughs> is getting her PhD in medieval literature, specifically Chaucer. Um, so true. Don't know why I forgot that during Fisher King part one. <laughs> yeah, you were just like, I have nobody I can turn to for this. And, and then literally we were like at the airport eating and I was like, hey, Monica, you're getting your PhD <laughs> in 13th century British literature, specifically Chaucer. What are your thoughts on King Arthur? <laughs> um, what a twist. Twists and turns, criminal minds. Anyway, there is a, okay, okay. Here's, mm-hmm. let me, can I have my little rant about this book? Yeah, just get get okay. it all out at the top here. Okay. Chaucer has a story in the Canterbury Tales, Tales called Sir Topaz. And it's a parody of the King Arthur um, tale. But basically there's a king or a knight, Sir Topaz. He's like off to find his elf queen. And King Arthur is a character in this, or sorry, Chaucer is a character in the story he's like i met sir topaz and went on this adventure and it's from 1387 so it fits the fucking time period perfectly and it's like a an author insert into a king arthur tale um what about insert fic yeah self-insert fanfic is so real also love self-insert insert fanfic in 1387 (laughs) the year of our lord 1387 yeah hey you know what if he's inserting himself into an arthurian tale it's basically self-insert fic. Is it? Uh, <laughs> I was going to say something really sacrilegious. I was going to be like, every book in the Bible after the first one is basically just like canon divergent. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, you're right, though. <laughs> anyway, and then, so I was talking to my friend, Bestie Monica, and she mentioned Thomas Mallory, who I had forgotten about, who Thomas Mallory is the one who wrote, like, the King Arthur story. He okay. wrote La Mort de Arthur, The Death of Arthur. He's the one who did like Lancelot and Guinevere. He he wrote the story. Oh, so um, true. Yeah, He's like the, the first dude. person. He's the compiler of all of the King Arthur tales. It's like author or compiler. Obviously, it was like the 1300s. We don't exactly know which it was, but he's like yeah. the guy. He's the dude. Yeah. So my original guess, my original guess had been a 1963 British edition of um, the Canterbury Tales by Chaucer. That was my original mm-hmm. guess, which and was a then, very good guess. I mean, it was they put his name evidence on by the way that this was that that book was mentioned. Yes, in this episode, good right. guess. Call him it a Fowls. Thank you. Um, and then I was like, oh, I'm going to change it to my guest to Mallory because he's the King Arthur dude. Mallory does not get mentioned once in this episode. Instead, it's a book they keep calling it the 1963 edition of the Collector. It's the first edition. Um, and I think it's interesting, like, so a little bit about that book, because I looked it up, because I was mm-hmm. mad. Um, it's a 19- <laughs> I was so fucking furious, I, I decided so to research. Fucking furious, I did some research. Um, which is the most me bullshit on the planet. Okay. <laughs> the Collector by John Fowles. It's a 1963 thriller where a lonely, psychotic man kidnaps an art student and keeps her captive in his cellar. Which oh. is the unsub. Right, lonely, psychotic man kidnaps a girl, keeps her in the cellar. Um, so the story does match, you know, what happens in the episode. So like, I'm not super mad about that. But yeah. in terms of a knight's, like, 
knights, the whole motif of knights. Why wasn't yeah. it a book about knights? Nice. Like the thing that gets me is like this book is totally random. T- totally yeah, random. It like it has no connection with the exception of a parliament of fowls, respelling of fowls, the author is John Fowles. With the exception of that, this book has nothing to do with knights, nothing to do with any of that. The connection ends up being the cover of the book, the cover of specifically the 1963 British edition of the book, which is a lock of hair, a skeleton key, and the pale English butterfly, which are the clues he sent. Um, but I, so I listened to the audio commentary mm-hmm. and they set Edward Bonero, the executive producer, and his daughter, Amanda Bonero, who's the criminalized researcher, which is like an oxymoron. Um, <laughs> She also Man, played- I can't believe we're about to fucking dunk on Amanda Panero on live on this podcast. You she are played- our enemy, girl. <laughs> you are not the good guy here. You are the Honestly, enemy. Enemy number one for me is Amanda Panero. <laughs> she also plays Rebecca Bryant. She's fine as Rebecca Bryant. Um, anyway, they said that they so like they wrote the poem that uses the code. They wrote the poem first, and then they got the book. And they spent like three or four hours together making the code. So they had the poem and they had the book. Um, oh, and so then- it's like, actually, if I got a 1963, yes. it's like, actually, okay, that is yeah. kind of fucking cool, actually. Yeah, so they said like one of the things they wanted to do was like give people um, something to figure out during the break. So like they gave all the clues necessary in part one. To oh, that sol- is kind of fun. Code. Yeah. I and do kind of like that. Yeah, but they said um, within a week it had been solved. <laughs> <laughs> well, love to see things haven't changed since two thousand and six. Um, yeah, it was interesting, and there was stuff like they got the text of the book cleared, like the rights, but they didn't get the cover art cleared until the day they were shooting. So, like, the book has seven different co- covers, but they have to use the nineteen sixty three British version because that's the cover yeah. that had the clues. But, like, there was no talk of, like, why that book? Like, that why was the thing book? that, like, I had assumed they wrote the episode and then found a book that matched. But no, the executive producer wrote this episode and the first one and just had the book, used the cover for the clues, wrote a poem, and then made a code. And that was it. And he also said that, like, the people figured out with the code out within a week. And that was like before the team had even confirmed where they were going with it in part two. So they wrote the code, but they didn't know what they were doing with it. They just presented the code. Yeah. What the fuck? So like, I, I think, so basically what they did is they like, they found the collector, used Mm -hmm. the picture to make a few clues. They wrote Mm -hmm. the poem and then, they configured everything else around it. Um, but I just didn't... Uh, it seems as chaotic as as I thought it was. You know, like hearing the way that they just kind of like, they put all the clues, but they didn't know what the solution to the puzzle was. That's you know? so fucking buck wild to me. Like, we talked about this in a different episode. We talked about how like, Criminal Minds in season one 
and I think this episode basically is season one. Yeah. Um, they present everything at the beginning. They basically like know who it is for most of the episode and then catch them right at the end. And we talked about how like, you know, most of the time crime writers make a crime and then work backwards to place the pieces in a logical yes. way. But we had made the guess that Criminal Minds just puts the clues down and then figures out a crime that fits them. And this is like proof. 100% proof that they do in fact do that. Yeah, they just like put a bunch of clues and think like, oh, this is cool, this is cool, this is cool. And then... um, And then the crime. episode ends. Yeah. And you're like, okay, weird. Like, That's cool. fucking strange, but yeah. okay. They also said that like sometimes when you do something like this, you have regrets in like two parts like that and they, he said one of the regrets was in part one they said that Rebecca Bryant um, was in Boston but then they didn't have the money to go to Boston so they looked at a map and they found that there was a South Boston Virginia so in part two she lives <laughs> in South Boston Virginia I think that is very funny though that made me laugh I literally was like that does make me laugh uh that's like so shit i do about this episode instead yeah. of just like trivia relating to this episode oh but i want to <laughs> dunk on this okay yeah we. But i want to dunk on the trivia more i, I do too but we the... can we can dunk on trivia while we talk about what this episode is <sighs> fine because it's 20 minutes into recording and we have not okay said the plot of this episode yet. <laughs> <laughs> you're right you're right uh-huh. okay fine okay so we start we have our little flashback, which really like the flashback or the previously on was like a horror movie. It fucking felt like that. You're like, correct. It was like so on vacation weird. and then the people just trouble burst happened. into my room and just Yeah. And it's like you're being accused of a crime. We found the body, like the blood, the music, the skeleton key, like all that kind of stuff. It was like very and didn't we say that that Criminal Minds is like shot like a horror movie? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this felt that flashback. Is. Also, I wrote down, I was like, that recap could have been like, that was all of episode one in five minutes. Yeah. Like, why was episode Sometimes one? Sometimes they'll so long? do a recap and I'm like, okay, I can still see why I would have wanted to watch the first episode right. and the recap and then go to the second episode. But this one, I was like, I could have just watched this recap. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Remember when I said I would rewatch Fisher Pr- <laughs> <laughs> the Fisher King part one and part two. No, it's just part two in the in the recap. <laughs> That's all you need. Um, okay. What happens? So the episode starts with L on a plane. And it's like, well, where are we? Um, and then it fades to white to Gideon in his office, and he's all grumpy. And JJ comes in and is why like Why is Gideon so fucking grumpy this episode? Right then, why is he so fucking? Well, grumpy? remember at the at the at the end of part one, he's like, "The life is being sucked out of me. Like, I can't do this anymore." Like, oh, true, true, true. But right? like in this moment, I did not remember that. I was just like, "Why are you so grumpy, old man?" Also, JJ comes in and goes, "Um, we found the you know identity of the person. It's Rebecca Bryant." And she like holds the fire out, and he's like, "Put it on the desk." And JJ literally is like. <laughs> And like rolls her eyes and drops it on the desk and just like walks away. And I was like, yeah, he's, why is he acting like this? Why is he acting like this? Yeah. Also, the file drops directly on top of a magazine just called Birders (laughs) about birds. 
Gideon oh. has one personality trait, and that Burns. personality trait is Burns. And later, it's also trains. Birds and trains. Birds and trains. Birds and trains. <laughs> um, okay. Oh, that picture of Rebecca Bryant is Amanda Bonero like at a bar. It just ha- she just like it's literally just a picture for like from a night out. She happened to be against a wall, so it was like perfect. And they just like used a picture of her from a bar. So funny. That happens, by the way, way more frequently than anybody knows. Oh, yeah. It is all the time. Selfies and whatever and just, oh, like, yeah. group party shots. All of them are used yeah. all the time as supplemental materials for TV. I saw a close-up of everyone's, like, ID badge. And, like, because I'm a fandom loser, I, like, recognized the press shots that they had <laughs> cropped the headshot off of. I was like, that was a press event. That was a press event. Like... <laughs> They just cut their head off. I was like, why is Gideon like, fuck, Gideon is fuck, or not Gideon. Hotch is like beaming in his FBI badge picture. He has this huge grin, happy as hell. And it's because it's fucking Thomas Gibson like out and about. So He's just having a good day. Yeah. It's just like, Thomas why is Hotch like <laughs> laughing? Okay. Um, there, it cuts to Hotch, Derek, and Reed in the round table room the briefing room, going over the book code. And Derek is like, how many books are published per year? And Rita's like, thousands. Um, this felt like, like a great time for Reed to have an actual number. A statistic. And he just yeah. didn't. And I was like, that's weird, right? He goes, prob- he goes worldwide, probably thousands. I was like, yeah, no shit, dude. A lot of books are published every year. I was like, yeah. why is Derek asking that? Like, it's a there are a lot of books in the world, dude. Like, <laughs> that was like such a weird like. <laughs> I don't know. It was so strange. Yeah, it was like, what a weird question. Um, and then Derek is like, why do we have the card, like the baseball card? And Hotch is like, yeah, and like JJ's butterfly thing. And Derek's like, I didn't even know about this. Like, I didn't know this about Gideon and JJ. So like, there's no way he got it from the computer. How does he know this? Yeah. Um, and then Reed repeats the music box poem, but I didn't write it down, but it was like, in darkest night, the sight will be clear as day, something like that. And he's like, I think I've heard that before. And we learned that he has an eidetic memory, not a photogenic memory. So like, he remembers things to do with what he's read um, and not like what he's heard. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, he can't just like remember where he heard the poem. Convenient. Uh, Gideon walks in and goes, what would we be doing if we didn't have these clues? And they're like, well, we'd be, we'd be looking at the victimology. So then it becomes like, why Rebecca Bryant? Um, why her? Why did they take her at that time? They took her, like all this kind of stuff. They say she's missing out of South Boston, Virginia. Derek and JJ go on a little road trip. I love their little bisexual buddies road trip. Ugh. Derek gets so many bisexual buddies road trips. He gets so many road trips. I honestly love that for him. I do. I like but how I, they're just like, you like driving. Go. <laughs> just go. Can I can I just say when it was Eric when it was L and Derek, L was driving. And when it was Derek and JJ, Derek was driving. Yeah. L fully went, No, I'm driving. <laughs> Kicked him out of this driver's seat. Um Hotch and Gideon walk out of the briefing room. Reed's gonna keep um working on the puzzle 
Yes. So pick, everybody yeah. else is basically going to be like, what would we be doing if this was a regular ensemble? And mm. then Reed is going to be off in his own little world of like fantasy bullshit. Floating numbers. <laughs> yeah, his fucking floating the, number uh, montages and the fucking pictures get overlaid. God. The thing that like really gets me that got me like halfway through this episode was like what they know it's like a medieval thing like mm-hmm. with the language the sword your quest knights the trout quintet there are lots of clues pointing to the middle ages and yet nobody is like let's look up Books about the Middle Ages or books written in the Middle Ages about knights. And they can't, right? Because the book isn't about knights or the Middle Ages. But I literally just kept being like, so we're just going to ignore that? The Cern- so we're just going to ignore the weird language? The Sir Naif clue? Like, not going to be anything? We're not going to put any of that Trump together? Quintets, nothing, nothing, nothing. Okay. Okay, cool. Like, <laughs> I just you was like... You don't deserve to solve this one at that rate. Like, come on. I know, I know. Um, okay. Rebecca Bryant. Very sick, begging to the camera for help. Um, sick, locked up. Hotch is goes to the bullpen to make a phone call. He sees Anderson and he's like, "Hey, I told you to drop L off." And Anderson's like, "Yeah, I, I dropped L off at home." And he's like, "No, when you take take her home, and stay with her. Like the unsub is gonna try and he's trying to kill us. He has our home addresses. Go, go, go." And Anderson's like, "Poor Anderson," oh, mm-hmm. and like leaves. <laughs> Poor Anderson. I know Anderson's like, I. you told me to take her home and I, I took her home and I came back. You didn't say like, take her home and stay? Am I supposed also, to watch her sleep? Also, you know if Anderson offered, Elle would have been like, no. No. I will L- say though. Does she look like a woman who needs a man there to protect her? Does she? <laughs> does she? Well, <laughs> remember how we were like, what the fuck? Why are her windows open? Mm-hmm. It turns out he broke in through the back door and laid in wait. So he didn't open the windows to get in. She fully left her windows open on vacation. You know, we can't all be perfect. <laughs> I think she's a woman who needs someone to she help her. A house sitter or something <laughs> while she's away. Yeah. Also, um, here's a trivia that her apartment is the guest house of the mansion. So they shot in a real mansion. Yeah. And they used that mansion's guest house as Al Greenaway's apartment. Which I think is so clever. Yeah. I I love doubling up on places. I think Hell that's yeah, so yeah. fun. Yeah. Save some money. Save some time. Yeah. Save having to move everything. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Listen. Okay. We okay. have been talking about the mystery of the pilot as if. We never see him ever, except we see the pilot in this episode. For like 15 seconds. He shows up and goes, do you have a case file? If you don't have a case file, you have to get off the plane. You know the rules. Which is like, is that a real rule? I don't think so. Um, I don't think so. Yeah, and then and then it cuts to her like on the floor of her apartment and they're doing, you know, the defibrillator and she was shot, whatever. And then it pans over to like rules painted in blood on the wall. But there's this weird voiceover that just goes, rules. Yeah, why does this guy turn into like a Scooby-Doo villain? I literally He's just was always like, huh? like whispering like, 
rules. Like, calm down, <laughs> bro. Drink some water. Clear your throat once or twice. Rules. <laughs> he sounds like he's coming. He's like entering in stage right on a Broadway musical. Like, rules. <laughs> Exit. Pursued by fire. I mean, in his defense, the fire took his voice. Sure. But they didn't I have to do that man like that. Comical yeah. how weird they made his voice sound. Rules. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We cut back to Reed, who has written possible book titles on the whiteboard um, and nothing else. And he's like, hey, Nothing. He's like, that is thousands of books a year. Oh, here's my note. Focus on medieval imagery. <laughs> That's my note. But okay, he has been doing this for hours and he goes, there's thousands of books a year. And then he goes, year. And gets the baseball card and is like, 1963. <laughs> and then he does this like dumbass little trot down the catwalk. <laughs> he knows he's not allowed to run, but he's like, I'm in a hurry. <laughs> like a fucking... Giraffe. <laughs> Hello. So weird. Yeah. And like Hotch literally like looks over his shoulder and he's like, hmm. Uh, and then a woman comes <laughs> out. Does not react <laughs> though. He is like, oh, okay. Goodbye. Hotch turns around and goes, well, he's in a hurry. Uh, and then picks up the phone. <laughs> like, I got shit to do though. Yeah. And then we learned that the press agent, the press conference um, helped find the guy who delivered the code to Hotch's house. And he's in the elevator on the way up. Okay. Reed goes mm-hmm. to Gideon's office and is like, hey, the Nellie Fox card, the date that's important for Nellie Fox, 1959, like or like for you, like that was the year that was important to you, 1959. So why is this card from 1963? And Gideon is like, maybe he didn't find it. And Reed is like, he found a pale, clouded English butterfly and a music box that plays the Trout Quintet. You think he can't find, like, a 1959 baseball card? Which is such a funny Reed statement. Yeah, I, I think that is so fucking comical. You go, baby. You're but so it, funny. It did make me be like, come on, Reed, one more step. All of these things are British. The music, the butterfly, <laughs> the knights. Come on, Reed. One more so step. close and yet so far. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Here I wrote down. I wrote clues to the book. England, Camelot, the language, the music, and the sword. Um, no one's put that back together. Um, no one's actually put that together. Okay. We go to meet the messenger in the interrogation room. He looks... Okay. This man <laughs> looks exactly like the sketch. They do a fade... <laughs> Of the sketch to his face. And it was like, oh my God. Normally they do nothing. They like hold the two pictures up and you're like, no. This was literally, I was like, oh my God. That sketch was in part one. And I was like, you found someone who looked exactly like that fucking drawing. You took a picture of this dude, traced it for that sketch, and then brought him the fuck back. I have never seen a police sketch look so much like the person. Like the person. It was fucking insane. (laughs) Haley was in the, (laughs) with the artist being like, no, his hair was spikier than that. Spikier, perfect. His eye, like she was like, not like that. 
Like it's <laughs> She was so specific. Yeah. I think maybe Haley is the one with the photographic memory. I literally was gonna say, yeah. Um, so then the delivery person, the delivery guy says, I don't know, this man came up to me on the street. He said a girl's life was at risk. Of course I was gonna do it. And then Gideon sits down and goes, How much? And he's like, a thousand dollars cash. <laughs> so that's why he did it. Um great. Penelope Reed goes to Penelope. Um, and she's trying to, she's tracking Sir Nafe's IP address because when she like tracked the hacking one, that's what led her to Giles in part one and that went nowhere because Giles was dead. So now she's going after Sir Nafe and Reed gets so close to her and she looks at him and she goes, do you need something? (laughs) I was like, everyone believes Reed. Penelope? bullies the shit out of Reed in these early seasons. Honestly, yeah. The whole, like, you would be someone's prison bitch. And, like, you know, the joke about, like, watching VHS porn and, like, all this kind of stuff. And then, like, do you, can I help you with something? Like, she's totally just, like... Why are you standing right here next to me? Yeah, she's like, Reed, get out of my fucking office. I hate you. (laughs) Like, um, okay. She's now probably so, like protective of her space ever since Gideon fucked it up completely. Oh, yeah. So now she's like, can I help you? Do you need something? (laughs) If not, get out of here. (laughs) Um, yeah. So then he, Reed asks, is there a list of, like, all the books written in a year? And she's like, no. (laughs) Like, publishing houses would have them, but, like, there's, there's no, not like, just, like, centralized list. Yeah, like, a universal list of books written by year. And there still isn't. You know, I think Goodreads might come, you know, be useful for that. But at the same time, like, you have... Someone has to put your book on Goodreads. Yeah. You know, I still don't think there would be, like... Here's a list of every book ever written, ever, that, like, isn't one. Yeah, it also, like... I don't know. It doesn't really, like... Not to be like it doesn't make sense to expend all the resources to make no, was, a database of sense. that. But, like, it doesn't make sense to expend all the resources. Yeah, when you can just kind of cobble what you need together yeah, from you're like usually, various, you're usually like what like, Penelope does. She's like, I can go th- yeah. through different publisher houses maybe, but like not all of them. Yeah. Um, also, like normally you're searching for like a type of book or a genre or this or that, you know. It's not just like every book written in 1963. <laughs> um, also, this is the first time Reed Googles this quote. And he doesn't even do it. No. He's like, can you type something into a search engine for me? I paused the episode and went, (laughs) can you type this into a search engine for me? And they don't even show, they don't even make like a fake search engine. They're just like, we're not going to show the screen. (laughs) It's just Penelope's black screen of searching. Yeah. It's her fucking Linux console of of Google. (laughs) Yeah, I just have all of Google on my Linux phone. (laughs) my Linux um so they says the quote it's from the parliament of fowls by Chaucer who is a Libra by the way Jeffrey Chaucer Libra one of mine I claim him why do you specify these things when neither of us give a shit about astrology (laughs) I don't know it's just funny like I could I can tell you that I'm a Taurus and that's about it one of the greatest um literary figures of all time ever 
yeah, we're the same sign. <laughs> Purely that. Congrats, you were born during the same about 60-day span as this dude. Ooh, Congrats. Only, like, 800 years apart. <laughs> Ugh, that is so 800 years ago. Okay. <laughs> Did I do it again? <laughs> yeah. Why does you drink? Yeah, that's on the bingo card for a reason, baby. <laughs> you have to stop doing it. I'm sorry. I'm not looking at you. I'm looking at my notes. Um, okay. You just have this weird fucking sixth sense for whenever I decide to take a drink <laughs> of this fucking purple energy drink that will stain anything it touches. Quick, say something stupid that'll make a choke. Like... <laughs> <laughs> And you do um, it every time. Every time. All right. Okay, so the quote is from the Parliament of Fowls, um, F-O-W-L-S, aka chickens. Um, but when you add an E to Fowls, you get the name John Fowles, who wrote a book called The Collector in 1963. They pulled it up. The book on the screen is The Skeleton Key, The Pale Clouded English Butterfly, and A Lock of Blonde Hair Like the One They Found. Fucking weird book cover, actually. Fucking bonkers as fuck. So weird. Um, And also, uh, when they pull up the name of it, Reed is like, oh yeah, it's a Valentine's Day poem. Might have been the first Valentine's Day poem. My mom used to read it to me. And Philip is like, your mom used to read you Valentine's Day poems. So funny. Okay. And then she's like, that's another one for the therapy list, basically. hello, therapy. (laughs) Uh, oh, that was going to be my ending quote. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's fine. Sometimes I don't realize if you're leaving things out because they're just like genuinely not important or, or you I like forgot. didn't write them down <laughs> or because you want to make them your ending quote. You can still have that be your ending quote. Okay. I'm sorry for ruining it. No, hey, it's fine. Hey, you know what? I'll scrub what? this entire last section out of the <laughs> Okay. It's gone. <laughs> it's gone. I didn't need it. Okay. How funny will it be though when I forget to delete that last part and instead leave all of that in? And how funny will it be when you say how funny will it be? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's all about building that parasocial relationship. We have to seem like people, you know, we make mistakes. We forget. We make mistakes and B sometimes does not feel like editing the episodes as carefully as she should be. That's just a fact about me. We cut back to the interrogation room and the guy that looks just like that fucking sketch says the man who paid him had a big coat, a hat pulled down over his face. And then he said like, but what he could see of his face was messed up. It was like all burned up. Cool. Um, One thing I do think that's interesting about this episode is that like everyone reaches the same conclusion in like, wildly different ways you know i actually liked that a lot it was very much like different paths to the same place and i enjoyed it i did like that because like reed figures out who it is and then penelope figures out who it is and so it's like everyone knows like one piece of the puzzle i think it was a really good example of like them working as a team like every bit needed to do exactly what they were doing to reach the end you know i like that yeah, um, I really. It also really like showcased each agent's sort of like specific skill set the best, mm-hmm. right? Like with JJ and Derek doing their thing with like the family yeah. and like examining the crime scene and stuff or crime mm-hmm. scene air quotes. Like 
they they really yeah. did a good job there and then like mm-hmm. you had penelope doing her thing and then like the bosses were just being the boss and they were like yeah. <laughs> chilling at the fucking hospital well, they were like discussing they were discussing like the big picture stuff which i thought was interesting um it doesn't it doesn't come to anything but anyway gideon and hotch meet up with penelope and reed who have just found the book um and then reed is like I have four libraries searching for the 1963 edition, which is the first edition. And they keep saying it like it's actually a really old book and they just need this newer edition, but it's actually the original edition. Whatever. All right. I did some research. Okay. Time for some literary analysis, baby. Okay. Let's go. Okay. So they, the woman who took the phone call from the unsub wrote down Fisher King. Reed takes it and it twists into Sir Nath. And he realizes that Sir Nath is the Fisher King. And he says the Fisher King is known as the Grail King, um, which was interesting to me. So I looked it up. Obviously, you know, you have King Arthur and the, whole, the quest of the Holy Grail. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to tell you two separate stories that go together. Okay. The first is the story of King Arthur's search for the Holy Grail. So basically, Lancelot, um, King Arthur's already set up. He's already the king, all of that. Lancelot gets called out to like the forest. He goes and there's a a boy that looks just like him and an old man who's like, knight this boy. And Lancelot's like, okay. And he knights him. And then as they're leaving, Lancelot and Sir Bors and somebody else are like, that boy looks a lot like you. You know, he's probably um, your son by that other woman, Elaine, who is not Guinevere, but is involved in King Arthur's stories. Unimportant. Sorry, Elaine. Um, his son turns up the next day at the round table. He's Galahad. And he becomes like, so Galahad becomes like the best knight on the planet. He's pure of heart. And King. And while they're all sitting there, that uh, an image of the Holy Grail appears floating above the table. And Sir Arthur's like, it's time to go find the fucking Holy Grail, I guess. And Galahad is the one who's like, beating people up and getting info and he's like just so pure of heart he finds the grail and he's everyone's like cool let's take it back to camelot and he says no it's it doesn't belong in camelot it belongs um in this other place like solaris something like that so they go there and he brings the grail to the king and then the grail gets like taken up to heaven and the grail king is god Oh, whoa. Oh, wow, right? So whoa. there's this illusion. This like, delusion of grandeur. Coming. Yeah, so it's like delusion of grandeur. Because, you know, the Holy Grail is the quote-unquote cup that Jesus drank out of during the Last Supper. That's the Holy Grail. Um, So it goes back to heaven, returned to God and also Jesus. Sure. Um, I feel like in that story, Jesus and God are, you know, because sometimes in... um. Christian religions, Jesus and God are, Jesus is a manifestation of God on earth. Mm-hmm. And sometimes Jesus is a separate person and is God's son. So like in Catholicism, Jesus is God's son. Um, and he is, you know, both divine and human at the same time. But mm-hmm. in other, in the Protestant religions, which is every Christian religion, but Catholic, um, <laughs> is they're kind of, the Holy Trinity is a manifestation of each other, the Holy Spirit, God and Jesus are all kind of one thing in three parts. All right. Mm-hmm. Now, here's a specific story of the Fisher King. 
Okay. Okay. Hit me with it. Okay. I love learning things on this podcast. <laughs> I never thought I would get like in-depth literary analysis on a Criminal Minds podcast, and yet here we are. Why get a PhD when I can just do hours of research for my fucking Criminal Minds podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's going to be so funny by the end of this podcast when you have a fucking PhD and you're like, hey, what's up? I'm Dr. James, and I'm here to tell you about Criminal Minds of all things. <laughs> Listen. I can imagine how funny that would be. Okay, so here's the actual Fisher King story. Basically, it's Sir Percival. Um, it's written in old French in the 12th century. It's like super fucking old. Um, this is the original story. It's continued to be used in stories. I mean, it's used in Criminal Minds, right? Um, it's continued to be rewritten, and nowadays, it's the the Fisher King is seen more as like a um a trope or like a motif and less like an actual character but it yeah. starts i know the fisher king as like almost like a title instead of like a character yeah like a specific um, guy yeah but i think it's important to this story once you hear it well you'll be like oh shit it's this episode so the fisher king so sir percival goes down to a lake and he sees this old man fishing and then he finds out that the fisherman is a king who's been incredibly wounded like he took a lance through like both of his thighs and like he's supposed to be bedridden and shit and, and he's he just, like you're having a nice day on the lake just fishing yeah, he like can't ride horses anymore but like if he wants sports he goes and he fishes that's why he's known as the fisher king who could have seen that coming who, who would have known um but he says that you know, he's like, hey, I've got the Holy Grail back at my castle. Um, I, you know, I, hey, I, I've got this cool thing if you <laughs> want it. <laughs> like, well, no, no, he doesn't it. offer it to Percival. So basically, okay. the, um, the king knows that he will be healed if Percival asks the correct questions, okay. which is what happens at the end of this episode, right? Mm -hmm. So Percival has to prove his moral maturity by asking questions about the Holy Grail. So he goes to the king's castle, the Fisher King, and there's a grail procession and there's like this feast and the grail is there and Percival never asks any questions about the grail. Um, and then he, uh, at the end of the night, everyone disappears. And basically like the Fisher King needs help and he needs somebody else to alleviate his suffering. That's kind of like the motif of it is you need help relieving suffering. But the character of the Fisher King, he needs to find the worthiest knight to heal him. And Percival, because he didn't ask questions or anything, wasn't worthy. To prove himself worthy, he has to acknowledge and then cleanse the sin of abandoning his mother who died from grief. Right? So we've got this burned oh. man. Yeah. We've got this wow. burned man who yeah. is helpless. And he sees Reed as, you know, pure of heart, but abandoned his mother. He never goes to visit his mother, who's very sad about it. Wow. And if Reed just asks him the question about the grail, the man will be healed, which is what we see in the episode. Right? Except Reed refuses to ask the question, which to me is like, just ask the question and like end it. But whatever. Um, but I thought that was really interesting that it like directly ties to Sir Percival 
very much like one to one on the nose. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't yeah. expecting it to be that on the nose, and yet, yes, it's like literally so on the nose. Yeah, crippled king or a disabled king, injured king needs help from a he- a knight who's pure of heart, and the way that the knight can help him is by acknowledging that he's abandoned his mother and left her to die from grief and then cleanse himself of the sin. Like, it's literally like the episode, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So, back to the episode. The answer is on the line. So, they're walking in. Hotch is like, do a a trace and trap. Trap and trace on line two. Trap and trace on line two. Uh, then the Fisher King is basically like, I had to, sh- like, I had to do it. You shouldn't have involved the police. Like, I'm sorry that Greenaway is dead. And at this point, none of them know she's even been shot. So he's like, sorry, she's dead. And then it like zooms in on Penelope's face, zooms in on Reed, and then zooms in on Al Greenaway's nameplate. Cut to black. <laughs> it was, was so like, okay. needlessly dramatic. I love it. I know. I love when they do the like flash, 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 and it's just like drama, drama, drama. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then it comes back in with a fade out of white. Al is on the plane, and she's like, "Daddy," and her dad is there, who was the police officer we see. Uh, and then we see her like going into the OR, Gideon and Hotch meet up with Anderson, who basically is like. She managed to call 911 before she passed out. And the, you know. Which is the, so incredibly badass. Amazing. Like, girl. girl you know, power. she had to find a, her landline. <laughs> um, yeah, but then the police show up and her ID and her badge and stuff aren't there. So they don't even know she's a federal agent until Anderson happened to show up and be like, that's Agent Greenaway with the FBI. That's uh, a federal agent. Yeah. That's a federal agent. Yeah. Um, and then. Here's where we learned that the guy forced, the Fisher King forced the back door open. So I was like, oh yeah. And so windows. the open windows have nothing to yeah. do with it at all. She which really is the left her worst fucking thing in the world, honestly. I know. I know. Um, and then they sent Anderson back to the house to process the scene because it's a federal crime scene. Um, I okay. like that poor Anderson does not have a phone. And so he does have to contact them every time in person. He will not just Literally. call them on their phone. He does have to go from her house to the hospital, to her house, to the office, to her yeah. house. Like, it's like so funny. Okay. He makes that trip like four times in this episode. I know. He like drops like, how her close off. Why is it? He drops her off. He goes back to the BAU. He goes back to her house. He goes to the hospital. He goes back to her house. He goes back to the hospital. He goes back to the BAU. Anderson, my This man. guy logged some fucking miles today. His, he's, his he's extent like, report is going to be sublime. <laughs> I was going to say, he's like, I'm like, it's a company car. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I don't have to pay for gas. It's fine. And in DC, that took him 80 years. Okay. Exactly. So, Penelope and Reed are in the round table room, aka the briefing room. A librarian has found the first edition. Reed explains the code. He's going to give a page. He's going to give a line. He's going to give a word number. And the woman is like, I've got it. Uh, I and then- liked this little exchange, by the way. I did really enjoy this, how this was like just some fucking woman from like a research library. And she's like, okay, yeah, sure. I can go you to page 222. You know this is the coolest shit. She's like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she's like, I will get my Laura Croft on. Let's go, baby. <laughs> I will help the FBI. 
Except though, they do the first word and it's the. And she's like, the second word, she goes, path. Does that make sense? And he goes, the path. Yeah, that does make sense. <laughs> and I was just like, lady, it's been two words. She went, the path. Does that make sense? I was like, ma'am. I love it. I think it's so funny. I would have loved to have watched them do the whole poem. I just, back and just like, yeah. Okay, the path began went like i just would have loved it uh but they do cut thankfully thank god uh, it, it would have been it would have been very bad uh so annoying. Cut, yeah to gideon and i'm surprised they didn't montage that though honestly i'm <laughs> Over, so like, shocked they didn't montage that with like words coming in just oh, like yeah. her saying some words him saying some words back like i'm surprised oh. they did not montage that to be You're very so honest with you. right that's so true wasted opportunity if I didn't come into minds, I would do a montage every single time. There wasn't available. There no, was no, no, one. no, we can't. We cannot, baby. We cannot. <laughs> okay. We cut to Gideon and Hotch at the hospital. The trap and trace did not work. He's a disposable phone. Hotch is blaming himself for sending Elle home. Um, later on, Gideon blames himself for having the press conference. So I think it's like interesting that they're both like blaming themselves for it. I also I mean, it's think not their fault, but no, it's one hundred percent Gideon's fault. <laughs> it's one hundred percent. Like he's like, she'll understand, right? And I'm like, dude, if I got shot because you were the one who broke the rules after not consulting anybody, no, I would not understand. I would be fucking pissed. Also, like, what did they get from that press conference besides they that the he guy? Burns on him, but well, the, yeah, they got the guy, and that's it. Yeah, they learned that he had burns. That's what they learned. So it's like, was it worth it? It wasn't. It was not worth it. No. Because they would have gotten the burns anyway from the house fire thing later. So, like, I don't know. I don't think it was super worth it. And, like, if I was Elle, I'd be like, no, I'm fucking pissed at you, actually. I know. Um, Okay. Hotch calls JJ and Derek. They're in the car. Um, There's no signal where they are so he can't call and tell them yet also Um, i like how they're like we're in the land of no cell phone reception and just shows them driving down a regular city block i'm like why is there not cell reception i literally was like um yeah there's a store right there why is there not cell reception (laughs) not all of virginia is like rural nothing like yeah and like in virginia I would have I would have excused it if they were driving down some rural nothingness. I would have been like, okay, yeah, you know what? Back roads and highways, sometimes your cell reception's a little spotty if you're in the middle of nowhere. Cool, fine. But they yeah. specifically showed them driving down like a fairly populated business yeah. street. I also what thought the it fuck? was I thought it was weird the way they split up their drive. So this scene, we get JJ and Derek in the car. They learned that Rebecca Bryant left for school and disappeared. She was sixteen, now she's eight year eighteen. Um, her birthday was in August, so they the guys had her for two years, and he's like, "It's so weird that when she got she went missing, they didn't canvas or interview anyone or like nothing. They didn't do anything when she disappeared." And they're like, "That's weird." That's it. That's mm-hmm. the scene. And then when they cut back, it's learning about JJ learns Elle's been shot. She tells Derek, who like pulls over, turns around, and JJ's like, "We have to keep going. We're not going to do any good sitting in the hospital. Let's keep going." And I that could have been one scene. I know it was weird and then like after to be fair this also happens pretty late in the episode actually like we see JJ and Derek leave and then we just like don't see them for a while 
Yeah. They're just vanished? It's because like, it, oh, okay. like, I think anyway, it's like a four-hour drive or so. Three or four hours. Um, she's probably not that much. It's probably like two or three hours. Um, yeah, it was weird that the way they cut this up. Because they cut it up with one scene between. And that's it. So it was, it was like... so strange. Yeah. Like, I could have seen them do doing one earlier on and one later. But they just, like... They vanished for a long time and then they showed up with one scene. Between. It was just a weird way to edit it. Okay. Here's the riddle. The path to the end began at his start to find her, first calm her long broken heart. She sits in a window with secrets from her night. Is it adventure that keeps him from her sight? Once I had done the research on the Fisher King, I figured this out like immediately, right? <laughs> Right, the path to the end began at his start when he was born. She started having, right, her schizophrenic episodes. Um, she sits in a window with secrets from her night. Is it adventure that keeps him from her sight? And he figures it out later that, like, you know, Diana calls his cases his adventures. Yeah. Um, I also think it's so specific. She sits in a window, which is like how we saw her in part one. But then, like when they go, when the FBI agents go to pick her up, she's like outside. So it's not like she only sits in a window. So it was just like really like they only had film, like they had only filmed her sitting at a window. So the riddle like had to do that so they could flash to a clip of her sitting in a window. Yeah, yeah. It was so weird. <laughs> it's just so funny. I know. So yeah. So anyway, the him is Reed. The her is his mother Diana, Jane Lynch. And then he's like repeating the like, though it's dark, it's it will never be night, um, clear as day in her sight or whatever. Um, and then he says it's never night in Las Vegas. Is that something people say about Vegas? Ah, second. I've never heard that before. He said that, and Penelope goes, "What?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'm with Penelope. What?" <laughs> That's not like a phrase. That's not a phrase. That's not like a phrase. That's not a phrase. I mean, like, it's kind of accurate because. I don't think it's accurate. When people imagine Las Vegas, when people imagine Las Vegas, it's at night with all the lights shining. So, like. I just. That phrase doesn't make any sense to me. I never heard it before. It's not like a phrase. It's not like a common phrase or anything. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't know. He said that, and Penelope's like, huh? And I was like, yeah, what are you yeah, talking same. about? Yeah, same. Huh as yeah. well, Penelope. Yeah, uh, and then he calls. Oh, oh, he calls, and he goes, I need to be connected to the FBI um, branch closest to Las Vegas, Nevada. Hello, this is for- It was so fast. It was so like, quick. He said that, and it was like- also- there. How, they definitely have an office that is just in Nevada. In Las Vegas. Yeah. In Las Vegas. In Las Vegas. How does the FBI not have an office? Right? Closest in to Las Vegas. Vegas. Like, yeah. <laughs> okay. Like, okay, bud. Oh. Um, it's just in Vegas. <laughs> Thanks for being vague about it, though, I guess. Yeah, and, it, and he gets connected so fast. Okay, and he's like, you need to pick my mother up. There's a... We have, like, a killer who's targeting my team. I believe my mother's in danger. Get her. Bring her here. Um, and then he's like, yeah, she's at the Bennington Sanitarium and she's kind of sick. And, um, (laughs) 
Yeah, I like how he just says sanitarium. Does not give them any other details about her yeah. condition that might help them or anything. Yeah. Or anything like that. Doesn't have to verify his fucking yeah. like badge number or anything. It was okay, he fine. literally was like, Hey yo, it's me. Can you pick up my mom from the Bennington <laughs> Sanitarium? <laughs> you know me, it's Spencer. <laughs> uh and then it, and then the focus shifts to Penelope and she's like, <gasps> his mom is schizophrenic. Okay. Uh okay, and then Well, she doesn't even know schizophrenic. She's just like, Oh, his mom's in a sanitarium. That's probably not great. Oh yeah, it was weird. He just says she's a patient there. Oh, right. She's a patient there. And that's why she's like, oh, I thought she was yeah. going to be a nurse. He doesn't say anything. It's just like, right. she's, a patient. she's a patient there. Okay. Okay. So, okay. great. Mom on the way. They cut to L in surgery. I put a sad face. Back on the plane. I said L's dad died young, which is sad. Um, and then I wrote, so cheesy. <laughs> Up really to L is. to live or die. In the audio commentary, the executive producer, Edward Bonero, he's like, these scenes can be really cheesy. I think what makes it like good is the actors doing well. And it's like over this like white fuzzy, like it's up to you, brother, you live or die, like whatever. And I was like, no, nah, it's still cheesy, bro. <laughs> Sorry. It's still pretty cheesy. Sorry. Still pretty cheesy. Um, okay. Mother's on the way. Oh, Penelope comes in to Reed's desk and is like, hey, they got your mom on the way. And then, oh, wait, I missed a scene. Back to the hospital. Gideon's been writing notes just like all over the hospital's magazines. Which Super is unpolite. So rude. Uh, and Gideon's like, it's weird. The unsub like genuinely thought we would follow the rules. Like, he never had any doubt that we were going to follow the rules. And then he's, Hotch says that he wrote rules in blood with his finger, and they found a partial print um, that comes of nothing. Nothing comes out of that. And then Gideon says, the way this man is both incredibly organized and incredibly delusional, like, that just doesn't happen. They're kind of mutually exclusive. Like, He's so yeah. meticulous and so organized and so, I mean, smart. But at the same time, he was so delusional. He really thought they were just going to, like, play the game. Yeah, and he makes a point of, like, usually these two things do not exist. Like, they cannot coexist. Yeah. You're like, either, you you're either one in a break, or the other. Yeah. You're either, like, in a psychotic break or you're organized. You can't be both, you know? Yeah. Um, so, okay, so Penelope goes over to Reed's desk. In the audio commentary, they said that this was, like, they wanted to bring Penelope out of her office to, like, interact more with other people because so far in season one, she's, like, only been in her office. Um, so I thought that was nice that she was allowed to, like, walk around. Yeah, this <laughs> um, episode, she spends a lot of time with Reed, like, in the briefing yeah. room and then here. Yeah, I like that. Um, she tells him they've got his mom. They're on the way. And then Reed says that, like, it has to be something to do with him and his mother because, like, he's the only one that JJ's told that she collects butterflies mm-hmm. was Reed. Um, and there's, like, a sad little moment where he's like, I think people tell me their secrets because they think I don't have anyone to betray them to. Which is so sad. Which is like, And also very self-aware of him, actually. <laughs> well, part of it, too, is, like, for me, I was like, I think they're just your friends, dude. Yeah. 
think they're your friends and want to tell you things about them because, you know, they're they your friends. They want you friend. to know. But also, it is kind of a little bit self-aware of like, yeah, people don't think I have any friends. People don't think I'll start shit, which is good. <laughs> I well, guess. I, it was such like a weird moment for me because part of me was like, I mean, after all of season one, part of me is like, JJ is your friend. Derek is your friend. Like this team, they're a family. And then he turns around and he says, yeah, people tell me things because they don't think I'll tell anyone, which I, you know, sure is true. But also like friends also just like tell each other about themselves. Yeah. Like maybe you see it as people just like telling you things because that's like a, a socially, you know, unaware thing, you know, mm-hmm. like maybe you see it as people like unburdening their secrets on you but like maybe they see it as like talking to their friend like how many times in season one is Derek like you can talk to me about your life and your feelings you know yeah that was something I was just like that's sad Spencer but like these people are your are your friends these people are your friends yeah (laughs) I was like oh do you consider none of your coworkers friends Spencer you don't think any of these people are your friends okay weird but okay weird, but like you spent all your time together i think you'd be friends at least um anyway he says he writes his mom a letter every day to ease the guilt of not visiting her which Yikes. is sad yeah um and then he says do you know that schizophrenia is passed genetically which is when which, yeah this is the part where he talks about the fact that she is schizophrenic yeah. it's not earlier yeah so jj and Derek go to rebecca bryant's house all of her stuff is packed away in the garage and the mom is like, yeah, it's here for if she like ever comes back. And like everyone's pretty like chill about her being missing. And so JJ takes the mom inside. The Derek takes the detective. They had the detective on the original case meet them there. And Derek is like, dude, this is super weird. This like, is not fucking normal, bro. Yeah, like when a kid goes missing, parents leave the room exactly as it is, like untouched. They don't pack up their kid's shit. You know, and mm-hmm. the detective, this is what we find out there, Rebecca Bryant was, was trouble, quote unquote, like dope, theft, truancy. She was a part-time student, as like how the detective says. Part-timer at best, yeah. which is so funny. I know. And they like, Derek says like, that wasn't in the report. And the detective thinks it wasn't relevant. Derek was like, it's super relevant. And we find out that like, she'd run away five or six times before and no one had ever looked for her. Um, JJ and the mom come come out. We find out that Rebecca Bryant was the Bryant's foster child, who after a few years they adopted her. Um, something bad happened to her family, and then they asked for her original mom's name, the original last name, and the mom has to like think about it. I was like, would you not like remember your child? Yeah, it's also weird that she doesn't know anything else happened with the family. She's like, something bad happened to the family, not like there was a fire or anything like that i mean i think i think it was a closed adoption oh true so maybe she doesn't even know okay fair but the fact that she goes they're like what's her like what was her birth last name and the mom goes um garner i think it was garner and i was just like i mean that's your kid's like birth last name like (laughs) yeah like i feel like that's like an important thing for you to remember for your kid yeah um okay so then the Back to Rebecca Bryant, Rebecca Garner, and we're gonna keep calling her Rebecca Bryant because that's what they keep calling her. Yeah, so it's her better name. Sorry, it, it really is. Oh, okay, so the captor brings her dinner, and she's like, "Can you unchain me?" And he says, "You're gonna escape." And she's like, "No, I promise I won't." 
Uh, and then she hits him with the tray and is like, why won't you just kill me? Okay. <laughs> she hits him with this tray? This dude made of stone does not can react I, at all. Can I say something a little insensitive? Yeah. Have you seen the Fantastic Four movie, the Chris Evans one? <laughs> I know exactly what you're about to say. That big dude made of rock. Yeah. He turns around. This guy turns around. First, he gets hit with the tray. Does not flinch. <laughs> does not turns move at around, all. And I literally was like, dude, his neck is so thick. Like, <laughs> I, I understand that in the real world, our world, it's like a piece that has to go over his real body. This man's head, giant. Like, it wasn't, like, a a man's head that had been burnt. It was, like, this dude must have been a bodybuilder. Yeah. He is. Like, like, getting burned doesn't make you hulk out. This dude's, his head and neck is wild. He looks um, like that guy from Doc, the Doctor Who, the short ones, who wear those helmets and they've got the three fingers. I've never oh, seen man. Doctor Who, but the name wow. of the rock guy from the Fantastic Four is uh, The Thing. He looks like The Thing. He looks like The Thing. He does. He does really look like The Thing, He really does, though. Like, that's not just me. Like, he he's the same color in everything. Yeah. Yeah. I went, he turned about it and I was like, oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was like, okay. And that's then he choice. still, like, keeps whispering. He's like... Because I love you, Rebecca. It's just such yeah. a weird whisper. She says, "Why don't you? I think it's because his vocal cords are burned up." I mean, yes, I get that, but also it's such a weird choice for Criminal Minds of the show to make <laughs> to have this dude who looks like the thing from Fantastic Four to just be like, "But I love you, Rebecca." <laughs> Jesus, that's so creepy in my ears. <laughs> Do you yeah. want me to whisper the rest? No, of the God. Oh no. <laughs> That's a negative for me. Uh-uh. Okay, uh-uh. okay, I got you. Okay, I won't do it anymore. Oh, no. They literally threw nope. their headphones off of their head. <laughs> no, thank you. Oh, wow. Wow. That was a sensory experience I've never had before. Oh, I don't like that. Uh-uh. Mm-mm, mm-mm. I'm so sorry, but that's also so funny. Jesus. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I have tears coming out of my eyes now. I'm so sorry, but also good guy. Oh my god, I'm about to cry. Fucking autism brain went no. (laughs) I'm sorry. sorry. No, it's fine. It's fine. I'm speaking like a normal person now, actually. I used to, when I was younger, you know, I had a lot of stress. I would listen to those like calming tapes and they would give me panic attacks. (laughs) <laughs> to hear the woman be like, imagine you're in a field. Why do the grass you, is green. You hate when I do it. You're going to do that voice the entire time. Yeah. I would listen to those tapes that they're supposed to be like relaxing. You imagine you're somewhere and I would have panic attacks listening to those relaxing tapes. <laughs> I just like hated the voice. Maybe that's why I do it so well now. Um, all right. Derek calls Penelope, who is depressed. She is in her office. She answers the phone and says, Garcia. And she's he's like, hey, it's Derek. And she's like, what do you want? And he's like, can you look up adoptions in Nevada, Rebecca Garner? And she's like, 
you know, yeah, it happened in 1993, but like it's sealed. And he's like, well, unseal it. And she's like, I'll work on it. And just like, <laughs> she is so. so why is she like this in this scene? I don't I understand. Well, Ellis shot. She found out Reed's mom is schizophrenic and he could become schizophrenic later. And like, that's true. It's still her fault, uh, you know, quote unquote, her fault that all of this happened. Like, she's just like, I'm sad now. I'm having a moment, actually. (laughs) Let her, let her be the drama queen. Do it, girl. Get it. Okay. Gideon Hodge back at the hospital. They're like, there's not enough for a profile. We can only make generalities. And Gideon is like questioning the press conference. He's like clearly guilty. He's like, I'll understand. I'll understand. And then like leaves the room and Hotch is just like sitting there. It was weird how they just kept like cutting back to them in the same room being like strange, grumpy. Like neither of them like did anything to help this episode. Yeah, they were just being broody. Broody men. Broody dads. Two gay dads with their lesbian daughter shot. Okay. And they're sitting worried in the worried in the hospital room. You know what? Yeah. Fair. (laughs) Fair. Um, back on the plane, the we see the dad's wearing like a policeman's uniform, and he calls out Peanut, which is such a cute, which is like so cute. <laughs> it's so cute. Yeah, it's like that is cute. Oh, okay. help! They're so cute. <laughs> yeah, Reed's mom arrives, and he's pouring coffee, and she's like, "That's why you're so skinny. It's because you drink so much coffee." And he's like, I okay. like how she arrives and immediately says the most mom thing you can yeah. fucking imagine. Those agents that brought her in just look at her, look at Reed, and then walk away. <laughs> They're just like, he's like, I've got her. They're like, good. Can you imagine like that plane ride? Well, unfortunately, I feel really bad for her. She's like, you know I'm terrified of flying. And he's like, I brought you here to keep you safe. And she goes, by making me do the one thing that terrifies me more than anything. And I was like, that plane ride must have been terrible. For her? Yeah, and also like, with like strangers and she thinks she's been arrested she calls them like fascists <laughs> just so and funny. like yeah it's like not only does she have to fly which terrifies her but like she thinks she's been arrested she has no idea where she's going or why they took her like anything like that she's totally just like i'm gonna die on this plane you know i felt really bad for her yeah same also though every time i saw her this episode i was still like oh it's jane lynch yeah i was like oh jane lynch back <laughs> In case you forgot that Spencer's Reed's mom is played by Jane Lynch. Lynch. (laughs) It's a fact we will never let you all forget. No. Okay. So then Penelope, cut to Penelope. She finds out that Rebecca Garner's family died in a fire in 1991. Everyone, her two sisters and her brother and her mother died in the fire. She was found in the backyard, like crying. And they said that they implied that the dad pulled her out of the fire and then went back to try and save his family and like couldn't. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. he was like badly burned, almost killed. Um, He went into the hospital. He got a settlement from the the tract house company because they'd been using faulty wiring. So he ended up like super rich. Um, And when he got out of the hospital, he gave up his familial rights to Rebecca, which is when she went into foster care, I guess. Mm-hmm. Or like when she became like available to be adopted, um, and then um, Penelope finds out that he actually after that went to the Bennington Sanitarium, and she recognizes that because of the phone call from Reed earlier. So she stands up and she's like, 
oh my God, like it might be this guy, Richard Gardner. And then her computer starts beeping and they identified Sir Naif and it's Richard Gardner. So it's like- Randall Gardner. Sorry, Randall. Randall. <laughs> Richard. Um, Randall You know what? Gardner. White men name, names are all like interchangeable like that. Fuck yeah. Actually, I don't think we know, we know his last name is Garner. We know he's her father. I don't think we know his name is Randall yet. But Penelope think- figures it out. Yeah, Penelope's the one who gets it, though. Yeah, and we see her face being like, oh. The mom, <laughs> Jane Lynch, stands in that room, looks at the table and goes, the table is round. And I was like, we get it. We the get round- it. They're the knights of the round table. <laughs> we get it. God, we got we it. We get it. We understand. <laughs> we got it already. Damn. Um... She grabs a little tiny evidence bag off of the cork board and he grabs it and he's like, Mom, you can't just like take things off the board. And she's this is like, government office. Yeah, he's like, This is like where we do our work, whatever. And she's like, Um, this is the government. And then Reed says, I'm not the government, mom. Hey, Reed. Hey, Reed. You are the government. Hey, Reed. I have something really Really sorry to tell you. I'm so sorry, dude. You work for the Federal Bureau of Investigations. Like, I'm sorry, Reed, but you're the government. Um, he has the mom watch the tape, and it's the 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 Quest tape, or he they keep saying watch the tape. It's a fucking CD. Um, it's a CD. She listens to the voice, and she's like, "That's Randall Garner." Uh, and then Penelope comes yeah. in and she's like, God damn, my thunder was stolen. It's Randall Gardner. <laughs> yeah. She comes in and she's like, I figured out who Sir Nape is. It's Randall Gardner. And then Reed's face does a little like <laughs> scrunch. And I was like, interesting. Yeah. He's, he's, he's thinking real hard. He's little robot brain go so bird. <laughs> he's thinking so yeah. hard. Okay. Hotch is going to go meet up with Reed and Penelope because they found Randall Gardner. Gideon's going to stay. And then he says, oh, by the way, I think this guy is so organized because he believes that all this night stuff is real. So we need to like break him of that delusion. Yeah. So that finally brings us back around to what uh, Gideon had said earlier about like how these two do not, do not like you, they aren't compatible, but they are compatible if you thoroughly believe everything is real and not a delusion. Yeah. I just, I don't, I don't entirely understand this logic. It's sketchy at best. Because like when you're delusional, you're delusional because you believe your delusions are real. Mm -hmm. If you know they're fake, you're not irrational, you know? So like, of course he thinks all of this is real. He's delusional. Yeah. Like it's such a weird, like, ah, so that's why this happens. And then they don't explain any further. And you're just like, Okay, okay, I guess. It thanks. was like they just needed a way to make it like a thing. I guess, yeah. You know, I I don't know. I don't know. I wish they had made the verbal connection of like, oh, he thinks, well, he does call Reed Percival. Yeah, he does call Reed, Reed like Sir Percival. So I like that. And they do figure out that Rebecca is his like holy grail. Mm-hmm. So, um, okay. Yeah, I have something to say in a second um oh yeah so the mom yeah it's, oh, it's right here um rebecca uh randall gardner always talked about rebecca bryant like in the abstract and so like jane lynch thought that rebecca gardner was 
fake, like a metaphor yeah. for something else. So I so later on when Randall is like, she's not real, she's not real, my daughter's dead, whatever. I'm like, oh, fucking Reed's mom did this. Yeah, like, like unintentionally Reed's, she did yeah, that. She convinced him that it was that Rebecca was dead, that it was a metaphor. You know, and that's what ends up getting Reed into trouble later. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. I wasn't really, like, interesting. I was like, oh, no. no." But at the same time, he's bringing Rebecca food. He's kept her alive for two years. Yeah, it's so weird. If she's, like, a fiction of his imagination, why is he feeding her or keeping her locked up or, like, what? Who knows? And, like, in in part one, she's, like, careful. He's he's like careful she's very sick like whatever Again, so it's like how is how does he think she's fake if he's attaching these very physical real things to her criminal minds criminal minds is not a good television <laughs> program <laughs> not a good show actually it's good because i enjoy it but like as a piece of Text? Media? Terrible. It's yeah. a mess. Yeah, exactly. Textually, this is a goddamn mess. Yeah. It's good because I like it, but it's bad as like a thing. Yeah. Um, okay. JJ and Derek walk into the room right as Reed's mom says something like wild. And JJ immediately like puts her hand up and like looks like Garcia all sneaky being like, who the fuck is this? And Derek literally points at Reed's mom and is like, um, like both of them were literally this? just like, who is this? <laughs> and then Reed's like, oh, Derek, this is my mom, Diana Reed. And Derek's like, oh. He also does like a very polite boy thing where he's like, it's very nice to meet you, ma'am. Like yeah. you can tell it was just like drilled into him. Yeah. He's like, it's very good nice boy. to meet you, ma'am. Like, good, good I, boy. Love, I love Derek. I know. Derek's such a good lad. I do. I do like people have pointed this out and I did like what JJ and Derek both walk in and both of them are like, who is this? And then he just goes, hey, Derek, this is my mom. <laughs> can, but, but also, can you imagine if Reed went, this is JJ? His mom would be like, oh. JJ. So this is JJ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I can see. see why he only introduced Derek. <laughs> Derek is safe. Derek is like, you know, the cool guy at work. JJ way. is yeah, exactly. like. <laughs> Reed's mom is like, oh, you're JJ's girlfriend, or you're um Reed's girlfriend. He's told me all about you. You're much prettier than he says. Like immediately just starts like Yeah, she would have gone into mom mode. <laughs> yeah. And it would have gotten real awkward real fast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so they they are like, do we have an address for him? And the house that they used to live in is still vacant. Nobody ever moved in and they never rebuilt. But Diana Reed, Jane Lynch, is like, yeah, well, he sent me this picture. Photo today. It's a yeah. picture of the house. And on the back, there's an address in Shiloh, Virginia. Can I say something super fucking nerdy? And uh-huh. you can cut this if you'd like. Oh, is this about the breakdown that we are continually having in Discord currently? Yeah. So Shiloh, Virginia was the site of a Civil War battlefield. And you know who fought in that battlefield? I will General Prentice. As in Emily Prentice, General Prentice. There is someone on that Criminal Minds writing team who is a Civil War 
buff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Somebody out there is like <laughs> fucking just, nerding out and just loving love, the fact that they like. They get two that they sneaky slipped mentions. that in there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're loving the fact that they slipped that in there. And they're like, yeah. nobody even fucking knows. Like, about why it. Shiloh, Virginia? Like, why that place specifically? So weird. Why wasn't it just like outside of South Boston? That's where they ended up or something, you know? No, it had to be Shiloh, Virginia. And then later, Emily Prentice. Like, we know that the Prentice is like an old family, and General Prentice is like old Southern aristocracy. Yeah. Aristocracy? It's- I don't know. Aristocracy. There you go. Whoa. English (laughs) is a bad language. (laughs) Wow. That was. You tried. General Prentice is old Southern aristocracy. So, like, I'm currently reading a book about the Civil War, which is how I, I found that. I found that out. I literally paused. Wrote down on another piece of paper, General Prentice, Shiloh, Virginia, Benjamin Prentice. And then I went back to reading. And I told my wife. And she went, you're so fucking dumb. I was like, so like, <laughs> in the Civil War, <laughs> Prentice actually goes all the way back to like, <laughs> like the South, you know, <laughs> like the three ships. And my wife was like, I hate you and your stupid hobby. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Okay, we go to Shiloh, Virginia. We get to the house. It is a mansion. They go inside. It's super fancy and old. Like, clearly the guy got a big settlement. Um, Derek finds Elle's badge on the dinner table, dining room table, like the fancy dining room table. And then he picks it up with his bare-ass hand. Yeah, sure. He just picks it up. Like, cool. okay? I hate this show. Hot, Derek, Reed, and a team of unnamed FBI agents are in the house. Reed sees like a shadow, calls for backup, everyone goes upstairs. Derek starts to go towards like the office and Reed's like, hold on, this is about me. (laughs) Step aside, this is about me. Hold on, this is about my trauma relating to my mother, please and thank you very much. Give me center stage. Yes. Uh, And then Reed is like, hey, it's me, Dr. Spencer Reed, you know, my mom, Diana. And the guy says, ask the question. He just whispers it in that creepy way that he does. But out of respect for Jay, I'm not going to whisper. Thank you. Um, And then Reed, for like the second time out of what will be many times, puts his gun down and just like goes in. He does this all the time and I hate it. Just like put it back in the holster. Yeah. Yeah. And the guy keeps being like, Sir Percival, ask me the question. The question, by the way, is... Who does the Grail serve? Is that actually um, the, yeah. the the question, like from mm-hmm. the book? Oh, cool. Yeah, it's like that one, or it could be like, um, what is the meaning of the bleeding lance? Like, there's a few, a few questions. Okay. Um, but who does the Grail serve? Um, and the answer is God. Anyway, Reed is like refusing to ask the question he's like trying to break him of the delusion they didn't have a moment where Hotchick relayed that to Reed I think Reed is just like doing it but part of me was like is he afraid that he asks the question and the guy detonates the bomb because the guy says ask the question it'll heal me but Reed refuses to ask him the question and part of me was like why not just like ask the question and then 
like, wouldn't that break the man's delusion because he isn't healed and that would get him to reality and instead we just like refuses to participate um i wrote that it was a sign because he he doesn't ask the questions just like sir percival didn't ask the questions until he admitted that he had been neglectful of his mother and cleansed himself of the sin um, which Reed hasn't done yet, right? We see that mm-hmm. later when Reed is like, can I go to the class? That's when he cleanses himself of the sin of abandonment. But anyway, mm-hmm. so I wrote that that Reed not asking the question is a sign of his own moral immaturity. Uh, I like to say fancy things about this dumb show. Okay. And then <laughs> Reed says, my mom is a delusional, paranoid schizophrenic who wouldn't eat without people telling her to. And that's how Derek and Hotch find out. No one ever says anything about this. They just like know now. <laughs> it's so strange. The way the show handles things, it's like boom, big information. And then everyone else Hive on the mind. team. Yeah. Everyone else on the team is like, I do not see it. <laughs> I refuse to see it. Um he opens the door, there's a bomb on the man. Reed is like, Derek Hodge, why don't you like go downstairs? And they're like, no. <laughs> what? No. No, I won't fuck? leave. Yeah. Uh, and then like he Rita's like, here's a question. Can you forgive yourself? Um Oh, and then the so then the the, the bomb goes off and he's like, Tell me where Rebecca Bryan is, which I thought was super weird because like they have this whole thing about the collector, and if Reed had like literally read even a summary about the book, The Collector, he would know that it is about a lonely psychotic man who kidnaps an art student and keeps her in the cellar of his farmhouse. Also, why did nobody check the basement anyway? Already? No one went to the, ba- no one went to the basement, but also just like, if it's a, if this book is such a big fucking deal, literally... Why don't you speed read it? Speed read the book! Get he a PDF! So often. Yeah! Like I, like I skims through it! Well, he's at the hospital doing fuck all! Gideon, read the book! Yeah, Somebody it was so read weird. the fucking book! Also, like, even if you don't have the 1963, like, British edition, the, like, some of the words might be different, but, like, the story is largely the same. You're so gonna he, get the gist. He really could have, like... Read the fucking spark notes, for fuck's sake! If he had read the summary, the literal summary of this book, he would know that Rebecca Bryant is in the cellar. So it was really weird to me that they would go through all this trouble about the book and the riddle and the this and the that and then Reed wouldn't know that fact but I guess if they knew she was in the cellar they would have just like gotten her out and not interacted with the man but I but feel I, like they probably still would have to arrest him at least right and then the bomb would have like I thought it would have been it could have been interesting where Reed is what if Reed is like I'll like she's in the cellar Derek go get her hot you take the main floor reads like i'll go upstairs like if they had separated and reed could have still had this encounter so it's like we see rebecca being taken out we know that she's safe and the man is still like at large and about to blow up the front of the house yeah and the man is still being like heal me heal me as they're saving rebecca and then reed ends up alone in the house when the house is on fire you know like that could have still been a point of drama so i just like don't like that it was like literally what the fuck was the point of that book Except you took the clues from the cover of it. Like, literally, that's it. 
I feel like Criminal Minds has such a weird follow through problem yes. where they'll like build things up as so important and then just like ignore them when they want to do their cool action scenes. Yeah, like, it was so weird. How did how did nobody read a summary of that book? Yeah, and then the guy says, "I I, I gave your mom the map, and it was there was a picture, there was a light on in the basement in the picture of the house, and that's what makes Reed go. She's in the basement, like right. yeah, no shit, Sherlock. Yeah, it was really odd. Um, then they go to the basement, and she like is chained. They need the key." And then the only reason they free her is because Reed's mom had taken the key evidence bag off the corkboard and he had taken it from her and put it in his pocket instead of pinning it back up. That's why he has the key. It was pure coincidence that he had that key in his pocket. So it wasn't even like anything. Also, what key opens the manacles? And the music box. Because that key opened the music box in the first part. That's so fucking weird, too. Yeah, you're so right. Like, I know it's a skeleton key, and that's, like, kind of the thing, but, like, wild. So not only did this guy find a music box that plays the Trout Quintet, he found Or he one made that, one. Or he made one. They never put forth that as a possibility. Yeah. Um, but he would have had to find a lock or build a lock that matched the exact same key as Rebecca's manacles. Which... Wild. They even what? have, like, wildly different, like, sizes of the locks. Like, I the know. music lock locks is pretty small. Yeah. And, and then, like, like, they figure it out. They're there. They're like, Derek lifts the fucking iron bed. Oh, he's so strong. He's so buff. Ugh. Oh. Hot is, oh. like, helplessly pulling at the manacle and like Rebecca's leg being like, come on, come on, come on. And then Derek just goes, the youngest one holds the key. Reed, do you have the key? What if Reed had gone? No, no, I don't. It's pinned to the evidence board, dude. Like, like all of our other evidences. Like all the I other don't evidence. bring evidence to crime scenes, bro. <laughs> anyway, he, but he has it by pure coincidence and they free her the second they are free from that room. Her entire room blows up. Yeah, what the fuck? It wasn't like the fire closed in. It was like her room exploded. Exploded. Wild. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. Cut to Elle and her dad on the empty plane. Now there's like no furniture on the plane. It's like empty, empty. Um, you find yeah, out I that like, like that they just removed all the furniture and they were just vibing on the floor. Yeah, oh yeah, empty plane. Love that. Um, you you find can tell out, the cameramen were like, thank fucking God. It's so much easier to shoot when there's no furniture in here. Thank I fuck. I love that the plane they have, it's literally like a Two. chunk of plane and they have a wall they put on either. They have like a front and a back. Yeah. And when they're shooting like the little coffee cart area, they put on like the back. And when they're shooting the like the pilot area, they put on the front. <laughs> it's just like amazing. Love it. It's such okay. a fun little camera trick that they do with that plane. I love it a lot. I know. It's so, and it feels like a big plane. I know. Or, you know, like a little plane, but like a big and size plane. Um, okay. We find out that Elle's dad died when she was eight. And she like had wanted him to take her to ride her bike at the park, but he had to work. And she was real grumpy. And she said, I hate you, daddy. Um, 
And then the camera like spins and it's like a little L and she's like, I wanted to say I love you. And the dad's like, I know, I love you too. And I was like, I have to go. I have to go. And then she wakes up. I think it's actually kind of a very sweet no, so scene because like, imagine the guilt yeah. of your last words to your father being, I hate you. Oh, yeah. Oh. In, in the anime Fruits Basket, the little girl says, like the mom wakes her up and she says, I love you every morning. And then one morning, the girl is like, I'm tired. I'm not going to say it. And she like goes back to sleep instead of saying it. And then her mom dies in a car crash on the way to work. <laughs> the morning she didn't say I love you. So like when I watched this scene and I was like, I said, I hate you that morning. I literally was like, oh, that's just like the anime Fruits Basket. <laughs> Oh no. That might be the first anime reference we've had on this show. <laughs> oh, it can't be. No way. I think it is. Because wow. I certainly have never referenced an anime. No. I can't think of a time, another time when you have either. Oh, that's been a failure on my part then. <laughs> oh god, is season two gonna be a season entirely full of anime references? Hey B. Yeah. This tattoo that you're looking at right now? <laughs> yeah. That's a Sailor Moon tattoo. <laughs> I have an anime tattoo, B. That's who I am as a person. I Do you want to hear something kind of sad oh. about me? Oh, no. What? I've never really watched anime. None? Besides, like, Pokemon a little bit when I was younger. That's None about anime? it. anime? No. Like, Naruto? No. Bleach? Mm-mm. Not Sailor Moon? Nope. Gundam? Nope. I'm sorry. It's just never been something that I look at and I'm like, yeah. <sighs> Recommend me a good anime and I'll do it. The one I have a tattoo of. Okay, I'll fucking try and find it. Jesus Christ. It's so gay and girl power and fluffy and pink and I love it. But also <gasps> it's very sad. But also, oh. do I look like girl power fluffy and pink to you does that look like something that appeals do to I, me do i okay fair fair <laughs> point fair point listen sometimes you just like a good girl friendship group also by the way it's very sad all right anyway everyone's back at the bullpen except gideon um Elle's out of surgery uh, everyone's like, yay. <laughs> okay, when they're like going their separate ways, Penelope like gives Rita a pat on the chest. JJ just walks out and her shoulder literally like bumps Reed and she doesn't even acknowledge it. She literally just brushes past him <laughs> out of the room. And I was just like, wow, JJ, that's, <laughs> that's cold. JJ's like, yeah, I spoke with your mother while you were away. Um, <laughs> we're going to have some choice words later. <laughs> like, we're going to talk. We're going to have to talk later. Your mom said a lot of shit. <laughs> anyway, uh, Reed goes to his mom and she's like writing something down. And he's like, hey, mom, like, how's it going? What's up? And the mom is like, is it lunchtime yet? I'm giving a lecture on Troilus and Cressida. So we need lunch. And he's like, oh, she's off in a delusion. So he just says like, can I attend the lecture? And she's like, well, have you read the material? And he's like, I haven't. I've had it read to me. And she's like, that's wonderful. I think that's um, such a cute little like. Yeah. I think it's so cute. It's very cute. 
And then Five for Fighting comes on. <laughs> and then Five for Fighting comes on because it's 2006 and nobody can see a financial crisis on the on the horizon. Oh, it is literally like when they choose like a song, like a popular song, it's always like wild. It's like Coldplay. It's so bonkers. Five for Fighting. Sympathy for the Devil. Like, it's a so- hallelujah. <laughs> You're just like, wow. Their choices a- are really fucking buck wild. You're like, that's a bold statement you're making. That's a choice that you've made here with this yeah. song. Yeah. Um, it's fucking five for fighting. I know. Uh, okay, God. So then there's a nice little montage. Gideon, like, takes Elle's hand in the hospital. Derek and Penelope are, like, hanging out in her office, rebuilding her computer. Which I think is so cute. He's just standing there, like, handing her a screwdriver like a good house husband. I know. She's like, can I help you, honey? <laughs> she's, like, she's like looking for her screwdriver, and he's like, I don't know. And then she turns away, and he holds it up, and when she looks back, it's there, and she's like, ah, and she takes it. Yeah. And I was like, this is adorable. Literally so cute. Yeah. And then, okay, I thought the JJ scene was, like, sad. She's, like, all alone in the briefing room, like, erasing the board. And it cuts to just, like, the back of her and, like, all the papers are down. And I was like, wow, JJ really has to, like, she's by herself for so much of her job. Yeah. She's, like, locked in her dark office. They leave her behind. She has to do paperwork. She cleans up after they all go. Like, she spends a lot of time alone. Like, she has Penelope, but, like, you know... Penelope's in her own office being alone. It's so weird. Yeah, and she doesn't feel like, like, Penelope has Derek to, like, be fun with. I feel like until, like, Emily shows up, Penelope, uh, JJ doesn't really have, like, a, like, friend friend, you know? Because, like, yeah. Cause Penelope and Derek are basically boyfriend and girlfriend, you know? Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. like, even if you're best friends, you can't, like, compare to, like, their partner, you know? All right. That's enough of that. And then. We also get a little bit of Reed yeah. and his mom on the plane, and he's like reading to her out loud like, and like holding her hand. She's clutching her purse and like nervously staring at the window, and he's like reading to her like a good little boy. Like, <laughs> oh my god. Why does this show make us emotional sometimes? <laughs> okay, but can like, we talk about the, the last fu- scene? Okay. Hot mm-hmm. shows up, yeah. he rolls up his sleeve, <laughs> he fills up a bucket in Elle's bathtub. And then he slowly washes the blood off her walls for her. <laughs> but can I just say, Team like, family. <laughs> but also, I wrote down: Is he only using water? I mean, like, it's just I water. don't know. Like, I feel Could like he needs like a work? magic eraser. No. Also, that doesn't get any of the germs off. It's blood. That's true. He would need like some bleach. Maybe he like cut it. It was like water cut with just like a little bit of bleach. You know how you make like yeah, maybe cleaning solution like that. It just looked ineffectual. Anyway, it's very touching though. Very it's sweet, so very touching. Like, He's like, I don't want her to come home to like blood this... on her walls. Oh. <sighs> oh, very touching. God, this show. I know it really did get me. I was like grumpy the whole episode, and then there was that final montage, and I was just like. Oh, this team why is are they family? all the best? <laughs> They're a family. Um, okay. They're a family. So I have a couple more things. They're uh-huh. a bestie family. I have a couple more things 
from the audio commentary. They okay. talked about this episode, like the two-parter, as like a play-along version of Criminal Minds because you're getting the clues at the same time they are. So like you can play along at home and try and figure out who it is, which I thought was interesting. Okay, yeah, I can kind of see it. Yeah. Plus and then they with talk- the break that they had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then they talked about how like um there's a rhythm to an Arthurian tale where like some they got trouble happens, the knights are alerted of it, and then they go and they fight the dragons. And he calls the team like modern day dragon slayers, which I thought was really interesting. Well, they've also talked about this before, right? right. Where like um yeah. they've always thought of the team as sort of knights of Arthurian knights. legend. That's why yeah. it's always been the round table room and yeah. fucking the thing the end of the the behind the scenes that we watched last year had like read as sir percival right up yeah, on the fucking on the like, board. writer's room whiteboard yeah um they also said something i thought was really interesting so they described season one as 22 versions of the pilot each episode was like a version of the pilot because you're getting introduced to the world the way cases are going all that kind of stuff which i thought was apt you know i I feel like we said that. There wasn't a lot of, like, development. Yeah. You would have thought with 22 chances to get it right, they would have made a good <laughs> pilot at some point. Oh, no. And yet, yeah. mm-hmm. they did not. Yeah. Um, and then they said the second season is more why are they doing what they're doing and where did they come from? So there are, like, specific moments in the season to show. And I wrote down some. We see Derek's family and Profiler Profiled. We met Reed's mom. We saw Elle's dad. We meet Emily's mom in, what is it, Legacy? Uh, And then we go to a small town like the one JJ is from in North Mm Mammon. So, like, we see some, like, background and we kind of understand where the characters are coming from. And then they said the third season is, like, okay, we're caught up in real time now. We get to see how the job affects their daily lives, Mm -hmm. which I thought was, like, interesting. Because season three is really where it, like, actually up and gets get good. good yeah <laughs> but also um, i think we've kind of talked about it how we don't especially view this first part of season two as like a true new yeah. season it's i think really the, the true of- new season starts when Elle leaves or emily gets there i either either way right either way. i think I- this i can see why they viewed season one as 23 versions of the pilot i get that right I also, though, don't see how they meaningfully built on that in the first part of season two, you know? I agree. It's like, we don't, I mean, like, North Mammon is pretty far. It's like 207. Um, Profile or profile isn't until 212. Like, there's like, they didn't meaningfully build on it until after a leave. So they didn't, like, meaningfully start building on what they had set up until... Season two, part part two of season two or whatever, you know. Scale of one to ten. What are you ranking this this first episode of season two that's not really season two? Episode of season fake season two. Okay, what do you rank this? Scale of one to ten. Here's my question. Do I rank this as like it's a season one seven? Or do I rank this as like it's a season two 
four. You know, I think we have to do it's a season two because that is where Criminal Minds put it. Even though we Shit. talk about how it doesn't, it shouldn't be in season yeah. two, it still is. We still have to go by this is season two, episode one. Fuck. I know. I, it's so hard because I know what, what's coming in season two. I know. And so you know things are going to get better. I know. And like, I already know what my like eight, nine, ten of season two is, you know? Yeah. So it's like, I really am going to give this like a, like a, I'm going to give it a, I'm going to give it a four. Okay. I think they dropped the ball on the book. I think their unsubs motivations didn't make sense. And I think that Elle should have died. Not, I like her, not because I dislike her. I just think that it would have been cathartic. It would have set Gideon down his road to leaving. And it would have mm-hmm. made, it would have made the team seem less invincible okay what do you rate it i i'll be honest Mm -hmm. i was gonna give this like a five or six Mm -hmm. i was like it's okay it's on the okay side of okay but it's okay but then i listened to you go on this rant about the book and (laughs) i really am finding myself agreeing with you i'm really agreeing with the points you've made thank you so I think for that reason, I'm going to go in solidarity with you, my guy. I'm going to go with a four as well. It's like Shark Tank. And for that reason, I'm going to have to pass. <laughs> <laughs> for that reason, we have fours across the board right now. Next time on Wheels Up, we are going to be doing one of my favorite, actually a really good episode. This is one that I do go back. I would go back and rewatch. It's P911. It yes, is. I just rewatched this. A yeah, the oh. case of a missing boy put up for oh. auction online. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I cannot wait to talk about 2006 chat rooms. Oh. Yes. Also, one of my favorite guest appearances on this show is right in this next episode. I'm jazzed Ooh. for it. You'll see next week, oh. and you you will you will be entirely unsurprised by what other media I like this actress from. You will be entirely unsurprised by my choice of media. Wow, is it going to be like a Fast and Furious or something? Wow, all right. No, it's going to be related to my other podcast, Afterbite. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the other thing that I do. The other thing that you do. Okay, go on. That's it for this week. Thanks for coming back with us. We, like I said, every other Wednesday here on wheels up you can follow us on twitter at wheels up pod or on instagram at wheels up pod anywhere at wheels up pod we're doing shoulder shimmies over the video call which i know doesn't like doesn't transfer well to we're back the baby audio experience but we're just excited <laughs> to be back jay do you have any quote for me baby i do and it's it's not the one you think it's gonna be okay. uh hey b hey hey jay the table it's round <laughs> You. <laughs> <laughs> the table, you. the table in the round table room. The round Fuck table you. room has a round table, and they sit at the round oh, table. Oh, it's round! No way! <laughs> We're knights of the round table.